Welcome to the Two Men on the Run podcast. And it's finally, after I think about 25 episodes, we've got the guest that John Joe's been promising me. It is the delightfully diligent, dedicated dietitian, Dr. Claire Blennerhassett. She's a senior lecturer at Edge Hill University in nutrition, and it is fantastic to have her on the show. Thanks for coming on the show, Claire. Yeah! Woo! Thanks for having me. Professor Magnifique, I've got here. (laughs) But you're actually German. I'm not German, no. I am Scouse. Oh. I've been to Germany, though. I've been to Berlin a couple of times. Don't think that makes me German, though. But your, mu- your husband must be German. No, though. he's not German. With a, he's Scouse like, as well. With a name like Blennerhassett. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He likes to think of himself as Viking. Mm. And there's places in Cumbria called Blennerhassett. Right. Only with one T, so 13 letters, not 14. Um, and there's a place in Ireland called Blenneville. So he could have been a Viking, raping a where did you man. Where did you meet your Viking husband? <laughs> <laughs> um, in a pub... He was a singer in a band. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. What was the band? Is it still going? I mean, uh, off topic, but we... we, we no, it, it's it Mish. He's been... Um, he was a singer-songwriter, and he was singing in the pub, his cousin's pub, which was my close friend back then. Still a good friend, but not as close in distance, kind of. Way. What's his first name? We'll give him a shout-out. Paul. Paul Blennerhassett. Hope you're listening. And um, what a wonderful wife you've got here. He, he could have come on and played us a, a much better song than John oh. Joe uh, oh. was in previous <laughs> episodes. Very likely, very likely. Listen, let's go into your background. Mm-hmm. Um, as brief or as detailed as you wish, mm-hmm. your upbringing in sunny, sunny uh, Cantrell Farm, That's Stockbridge Village. Why did they change the name? Give us a, a brief <laughs> outline of the whole history of your, you know, as, as detailed or as brief as you wish. Okay. Um, yeah, so grew up on, well, I think it was Cantrell Farm and then merged to Stockbridge while I was there. Um, probably not on too exciting as a child, was cu- quite an active person, loved being outdoors, climbing trees and all that type of stuff. You know, traditional girly things you do. Um, and then, yeah, moved outside of Stockbridge Village, you know, hill, hill, uh, hillside. Hill, I do, yeah, with the shops are there, yeah. Yeah, kind do, of yeah. near there, where the new housing estate was built off Nosley Lane. Mm. So I was probably about 19 there. Um, did you have a happy upbringing? Did you enjoy I did, it? yeah, really, really happy. Really kind of outdoorsy, loads of like uh, UK holidays, having fun with family, always in the woods, climbing trees and, you know, Stuff like that. Loved it. Outdoorsy. Nature. Love it. Wonderful. And how did you... We're going to move straight into it now, Mm because you're a professor of... of, You're not a professor. What are you? I'm a senior lecturer. A senior lecturer. That's good enough for me. (laughs) A senior lecturer. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you always have an interest in in diet? Was that always there for you? Possibly, yeah. I was very much into food. Um, Did um, GCSEs with the food, what was food economics back then. Got myself an A and my teacher was like really disappointed that I didn't get an A star. I was oh like, what? Yeah. Uh, but it turns out my grade was pulled down from an A star because I had to do like woodwork as part of it. So it was like 75% cookery and 25% was kind of the CDT stuff. 
and I was rubbish at it. You, went, you, you enjoy, it. I mean, I enjoy I eating. Food. I enjoy eating. Mm-hmm. I but love eating. You've got to cook, you know, you've got to put some time in, haven't you, to, mm-hmm. to have good meals. Yeah. Um, so that's where it all began, mm-hmm. really. And I was probably quite an unusual child in the sense that my favourite food was salad. We'd go to my nan's, everyone would have roast dinner, mm. gravy, all the trimmings, and I'd be like, salad. A Caesar salad with all the you know, delicious sort of yeah. vi- vinaigrettes. Love it, love it, honestly, yeah. 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 And it probably wouldn't have been as vig- vinaigrette it was very much carrots, tomatoes, piles and piles of salad leaves. And we all know there's no nutrition in, in salad leaves, <laughs> is, that right? is that right? No, it's not. No. It's been alright for bunny rabbits, haven't it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Matthew, I don't know if you've, if you've got a question. I've got a list of questions, but... Ooh, um, you want me to jump in first? You want me to jump go in ahead. First? Yeah, go on. You've got... Um, easy questions oh, okay, first. Okay. Well, 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 easy question first. Then. Let's start with um, your research project. That, mm-hmm. uh, you did an ultramarathon uh, research okay. project. And correct me if I'm, I'm wrong. Yeah, there's different sources. Of, I've got my information from them. I'm sure I'll be incorrect somewhere. But um, you've got a, a group of, of runners, different... Different groups uh, set out uh, with different fueling systems that mm-hmm. they were they trained on those fueling systems. So some were low carb, high fat. Some were That's high correct. fat, low carb. That's correct. Some high protein was there one. Or? So we had two groups. Yeah. So we had two groups. It was really um, interesting topic actually. So ultra endurance runners have been kind of interested in me for ages because the, the things they can put their bodies through. Um, you know, this predominantly self-sufficient or partly self-sufficient, so they have to carry most of the nutrition. So not only are they running mega distances, they're carrying most of their fuel. They might have the odd place to stop and get water or maybe a few snacks, but majority of it is in the back with all of their kits. So things like um, first aid kits, all of the outer waterproof stuff for safety and things like that. Loads of mandatory kits. So. It's a massive challenge on the body physically and mm. mentally. Um, and there's kind of quite a lot of debate about what's the best way to fuel that type of race, given the fact that they have to carry most of the nutrition or um, at least in most of the races that are kind of more remote. So it's kind of led people to think, well, maybe high fat's better because you get more calories for your yeah. fuels. If your body can adapt to using fat more appropriately, then you don't need to fuel as much because you can. Our body can store yeah. loads more fat than it can do carbohydrates. So, um, so yeah, that was kind of where my interest came from. Um, and alongside that, you've got um, ultra runners typically experience gut symptoms, um, and that can be mechanical problems because of the 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 um, impact of running, yeah. the jiggling about, kind of irritates the gut and things like that. Or it can be to do with what they're eating. So if they have kind of really fr- refined carbohydrates, high concentrations, like sports drinks are fine because they're isotonic generally. Yeah. But if it's too concentrated in carbohydrate, they tend to get kind of runners, yeah, trots. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's quite a kind of difficult thing trying to fuel enough and not have these gut problems. And you also get um, a lot of them... Um, recommendations are often carbohydrates keep those yeah. energy fuels coming because you can't store enough so keep drip feeding a bit of carbohydrate but what tends to happen is you get taste fatigue so um even those people who have a sweet tooth where they're having jelly babies 
be quite nice. When you're running eight hours, nine, ten hours, you are not going to carry on eating jelly beans. So people will often start to take a uh, prefer savory taste. So crisps, perfect. Pork pies, cheese, nuts. They become the preferred food as they're snacking, as they're running. Yeah. Which goes against probably most recommendations that have been there in the past. So yeah, so because of the problems of the GI discomfort, because of the logistical challenges with carrying enough nutrition, and actually they're not running at the really high intensities, a lot of them. So do we need carbohydrates as the main source of fuel if they're not getting those high 80% VO2 max? So yes, we um, put two groups together, um, match them as close as possible in terms of their performance, um, in terms of their body composition, um, did some VMAX testing at the yeah. beginning to facilitate that, BMI, body composition and all that sort of stuff. And then, must have been about six weeks before race happened, they do, uh, did a gut training period. So they had four weeks where they would train as, as though they were a competition, so having yeah. carbohydrates at a certain intervals during yeah. the training. Um, and then once they got through the gut training, they then had a seven day periods where they were either high fat low carbs or low high high carb low fat um and then the final two days pre um competition were to replace those carbohydrates so if someone had adapted to the uh, high fat low carbs uh, we didn't want to disadvantage them on race day so having them replenish those carbohydrates before race so that ideally they've both started with full stores of carbohydrates but we then see whether fat adaptation which generally occurs after five to ten days whether that can promote some benefits for during the race right. are you happy with that answer and what was the what was the, the i suppose the finding from from that then well actually it was it's one of those things i, I talk to my students about it they're all doing their dissertations yeah. at the minute and um, one of the things we look at when we're doing the analysis, we look for statistical significant differences. Yeah. And this gives us confidence that if we were to repeat it again, um, any difference that we do see, um, because we've done these in controlled environments, then if we were to repeat it, we'd, we're like 95% confident that if we repeated it, we'd get the same results. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the students and me in, 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 as well, we kind of look for that as a magic indicator of whether there was a difference in the benefit. And we're always disappointed when there's no significant difference. And surprise, surprise, surprise this was no difference. Right. So in terms of race performance, there was no difference at all yeah. in terms of the times between the high fat and the high carb groups. Yeah. Which, if, <laughs> you know, when you have done, up at that point it was three years into my uh, PhD, um, and you're kind of hoping to find something life changing, yeah. but actual, oh, no difference. Yeah. yeah. So, I suppose bringing off that, um, obviously, me and John Drew have, have uh, we interviewed Charlie Spedding um, a while back. I don't know if you know Charlie Spedding, you've heard of Charlie Spedding. So, um, so, Charlie was an Olympic bronze medalist mm-hmm. um, in the marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a, once he retired from uh, running, uh, a lot of other accolades there. Um, he was a, a pharmacist for a, a numerous years mm-hmm. um, and then he stepped away from pharmacy being sort of I suppose fed up and, and, and um, with, with the whole pharmaceutical industry and as a whole and how it's run um, and very much went into the direction of 
uh, trying to look at how um, both nutrition and uh, pharmaceuticals and things like that are actually the leading us astray with what we're told and things. And he looked at sort of um, looked at sort of diets and high fat, low carb. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wasn't talking about athletes. He was, he was looking in, in the general population. Mm-hmm. Um, and his sort of thing was that we should all be on a, a high fat diet and low carb or zero carb to be fair um, sort of diet and, and things like that mm-hmm. um, which I then tried for my performance and my running mm-hmm. um, so I did I must have done about six weeks on it um, and I really enjoyed it from a point of view of um, taste. enjoyed taste mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed doing the cooking for it mm-hmm. because I enjoyed to cook and it was there was loads of interesting meals and plenty of things to do with steak and things like that, that I was able to do um, and I actually I lost I was losing about a kilo of weight a week mm-hmm. um, and my training was was, was going fantastic and um, it didn't work so well for Jade who was who was trying it as well um, but she was in the middle of a, a, a race sort of phase at the time mm-hmm. um, but she was also racing 1500 meter sort of running mm-hmm. where I was doing marathon yeah. sort of training um, which I'll, I'll get to a question about later on with regards to that but um, but then I went off it and we, we, we decided to go back just to how we were eating before um, which was more sort of carb based and things like that and I just put the weight straight back on mm-hmm. um, and I've tried going back on it again and I lose the weight and then I, I go back to normal and I put it all back on again so is there, is there you know is is, is there some um, you know right to what Charlie's saying there with that and, and you know and I suppose the struggle of applying that to athletes and things to then just to the general population and stuff like that what's, what's your thoughts on um, it's a long and complicated <laughs> story I suppose and there's been lots of debates about high fat loaf carbs and vice versa and um, I suppose in some degree nutrition comes down to it, it depends so mm-hmm. there's a lot um, of interest now in kind of personalised nutrition and looking at uh, genes so they've mapped genes and there's some people and uh, that respond differently to different foods but they're not at the stage where they've got that magic this is yeah. perfect for you and this is perfect for you um, so there is a lot of kind of new stuff that will be coming out in relation to tailoring the diet to that individual. Um, I think in terms of general population, um, there's good and bads in both foods. So in terms of the carbohydrates, if you're having lots of fiber rich, healthy kind of um, carbohydrate foods, you know, your brown pasta, your brown rice and potatoes and with skins on yeah. and all those types of things, then you've got the benefits of the fiber which are good for your bowel health and things like that whereas if you cut those types of things out then potentially there's links with low fiber and high pro- um, high protein diets and particularly processed meats yeah. in terms of um, bowel cancers and things like that so yeah. it's not as easy as this one type of diet it's yeah. more about it's particularly with sports it's tailoring your nutrition to your individual demands and your point in training so if you're wanting to lose weight maybe that's the thing that's good for you at a particular time and then when you're ramping up for a competition changing it to be more carb based um equally you don't want to have a really um high fat diet just before a, a marathon race because the carbohydrates, is, particularly if you're running yeah. high intensity, you're 80% of your VO2 max onwards, you're going to need those carbohydrates, the better fuel, yeah. more efficient fuel, quicker to turn into energy, really. Mm. Very interesting, Professor. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Professor.
process. What? <laughs> Ultimate mm-hmm. diet for the average person, mm-hmm. perhaps. Yeah. If you just said no, there's no such thing as the average person, but let's say there was an, he was average, listening, then. He was listening. an average person. <laughs> the ultimate diet for an average person, and in contrast, the ultimate diet for a, the average runner, perhaps. Okay. So, um, and then you'd be asking about distance, wouldn't you? So let's say, let's get away from ultra yeah. running. And that's so, ultimate diet to mar- for the general population. So, there's, there's lots of. Um, guidance out there you know the eat well guide you might have seen charlie reckons it's a lot of nonsense doesn't yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> so it is evidence-based it's based on um scientific research but with any kind of scientific research it's done on a population kind of basis and it, a lot of it's done on observational studies where people are uh, asked to complete food diaries food frequency questionnaires they they have their bloods taken to see what their cholesterol's like their blood sugars are like they have the blood pressure done um, so they're observed in their kind of natural environment but there's lots of holes in that type of research in the sense that you're reliant on people being truthful in their food records um and, and kind of anything that goes along with that, a lot of it is uh, self-reported weight on the scales rather than actual being measured by research. It's just because the vastness, these are studies with over 200,000 people in. So the what, cost to go to an individual's abs- house. When I, I observe the average Brits, mm-hmm. they look very fat to me, you know, mm-hmm. across the board. Mm-hmm. And then you look back maybe in the 80s, yeah. people have definitely put on weight, haven't they? You know? very much Not so, everybody, yeah. but the large majority mm-hmm. unfit, and they can't carry themselves down the road in a straight line. Oh, oh. Now, sorry, sorry Matthew. <laughs> so, obviously, they're not eating the right foods, are they? they? They can't be. Well, it might not necessarily be about the right foods in the sense that, you know, there's no bad foods per se that are going to result in kind of death kind of at that point in time. It's more about the quality of the diet overall. Um, and someone can be eating really, really well. So they could have, you know, a fruit salad for breakfast, but like a monster-sized fruit salad for breakfast, full of nutrients. Um, they might have kind of chicken and vegetables and pasta for, for an evening meal or something similar. And it could be the quantity. So it's not necessarily that it's bad foods. It might be quantity. It might be the ancillary things like alcohol alongside that people might not notice. Or even drinks. I think drinks are probably the easiest thing. So you might be someone who likes a glass of Coke. But throughout the day, it adds up to quite a lot of calories outside of your normal diet. So there's lots of complicated aspects of that, really. Mm. They always say drinks are sort of the, the biggest sort of area with the empty calories, isn't it? Oh, sort of yeah. thing. Like, I mean, I know I, I, I when, we, when we spoke to Jolly's bed and I got a good telling off for, for my uh, love of energy drinks, I mm. had uh, down like a dozen sort of thing and uh, yeah rightly so rightly so (laughs) Mm -hmm. wouldn't you agree professor rightly so (laughs) (laughs) I get quite used to this professor I've not quite earned it yet but it might inspire me to do loads more research so I can get to that magic title of professor Um, Matthew drinking uh, high energy drinks Mm -hmm. it's it's a no no isn't it professor well again it depends all of nutrition is it depends so the likes of Matthew I've heard he does quite a lot of mega miles like the 100 miles in a week kind of thing yeah so yeah the last 6 weeks have been 100 miles plus on a treadmill yeah so to get (laughs) to get 
enough food. But don't forget, he has his legs just above the, you know, as it's zipping. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't know that, did he's you? He's levitating above the table, is what you're telling me. Exactly. Yeah, so... So it, he doesn't need that monster, does he? Well, he might do, because... Okay. If he's training, I don't know whether you've trained twice in a day or yeah, what. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so sometimes you might be training twice in a day. If you're wanting to do heavy training session later in the day, if you might not have enough time to refuel. We're so talking about caffeine here, aren't we, in, in his drink? And you don't drink caffeine? I don't drink caffeine. What's, no. the, what's the reason that you don't drink it? And Matthew it tastes has like a can. burnt ash. All of it? <laughs> well, and no. Every variety of caffeine? No, I think, you know, coffee. You asked me if I wanted the coffee, and yeah, I've tried coffee. Um, no. I, I just, I, it tastes like bad. To be fair, I don't like. My mum loves coffee. She's mm-hmm. she's a, a, a you know quite a, a snobby coffee drinker. To be fair, there has to be mm-hmm. certain types of coffee. I I personally don't like coffee, yeah. but I have an espresso machine and I will have espressos because there's a little small little coffee and just knock it back and just have the energy buzz mm-hmm. from it. Yeah. Um, I like I prefer energy drinks because they have a bit of flavour to mm-hmm. them and it's, and it's the other stuff that's in them like. Um, I, I didn't notice it and it was nothing I pay attention to but uh, Monster has L-carotene in it mm-hmm. which if um, the whole Mo Farah debate thing and stuff like that was there was an injection of L-carotene and stuff and obviously by injection it's a different way a different method and the amount of it in compared to a Monster and stuff like that and it is, a, it is legal in, a, in athletics and in sports to a certain dosage but that's what the whole Salazar um, debacle was all about and things mm-hmm. like that and it was quite, quite interesting when I noticed just just I was just looking at the monster can and it had that on there. And I was like, ooh, I wonder if this is giving me like this training benefit as well, like by having this and Maybe. things. Or the, whether then it just has a placebo effect that it then benefits me as well because that's just probably not anywhere near the amount that you would have if you were having yeah, yeah. the uh, injections of it. But what do you, what do you think, Professor? <laughs> <laughs> Could there have been a placebo effect? Quite possibly. Caffeine, so you don't like the taste of tea, coffee. Yeah, no. But what about these other products that, you know, Red Bulls and Monsters and all those things? Get, is it, it t- simply the taste? Yeah. And if it is the taste, that's fine. Yeah. So, what about the benefits? Are there many benefits to caffeine? In uh, caffeine, yeah. So, you, you believe in the benefits? There are some benefits in terms of endurance training, yeah. So, um, and endurance for you is anything above what? Marathon or? No, endurance up to, is, yeah. What it, is it to you, that, would, that word? Endurance. Good question. I don't know whether there is an actual set definition but i always think of endurance as a kind of continuous kind of exercise where you're probably doing it for longer than 10 minutes at a oh so it could be a a, it could be 10 minute run it's just a sliding scale i think in athletics it's usually like for ten thousand and above i think the 5k hits that little bit of a a mixed ground of being a middle distance to endurance mm. event sort of thing. Well, I mean, the, the, the top guys are, are doing it in like 12 minutes, so they're, they're down on that close to that 10 minutes. Or the professor is using the word in regard to 10 minutes and above, so carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe longer than that, but yeah, it, it's more the, that continuous, you know, like you've got your so, hit types of exercise, which are short, sharp bits. So I know what you mean, I know what you mean. So caffeine, caffeine yeah. is, is beneficial to anything mm. So yeah, so in terms of a run, if you were doing a particularly a, a longish run or anything from 10k onwards, yeah. not that that's long and kind of what you're doing, but um, but yeah, in terms of a 10k, you, you probably get quite a bit of benefit from having a couple of cups of coffee beforehand. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, any da- downsides to caffeine? Can you have too much of it? Yes, definitely. It and what can, would happen then? Uh, well, it can give people jitters. I suppose it depends. So someone who's used to having caffeine probably wouldn't really get many symptoms from 
one or two cups if you give me some caffeine I don't have other than maybe a little bit in dark chocolate I would probably be bouncing the walls jittery irritable that type of thing mm, but yeah extreme levels you can get bad headaches as well explains a lot about my behaviour really now it's, <laughs> it's all sinking in yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got loads of questions, but Matthew, you've got, got another one? Or? Yeah, yeah, go I can, I can carry on. Fat yeah. and cholesterol cause heart disease? Question mark. <laughs> what? <laughs> Professor. <laughs> oh, that was a question. Yeah. There's <laughs> a question on the so end of it. Fat. Fat. It's a statement with a question mark. And <laughs> cholesterol cause heart disease with a question mark on the okay, end of it. So, <laughs> so it depends on the type of fat. For a start, um, so you, you've fat. got saturated or you've got unsaturated fats. Saturated, okay. lard mm. and uh, steaks with the fat on, mm-hmm. all those kind of. They're natural, aren't they? They're saturated. So they're your naturally yeah. saturated. Fats. That's what I'm talking about. And then about. you've got your unsaturated, which are your kind of margarines um, and stuff. No. Not necessarily that. Um, it's kind of your um, avocados, olive oils. Oh, uh, vegetable yeah. oils like yeah. rapeseed and things like that. Rapeseed and things that so like sure. you get nuts and seeds. I've heard great things about rapeseed and also negatives about it as well. Yeah. So, um, but carry on. Answer the question. Sorry. Shannon, <laughs> 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 I'm gonna um, So yeah, so there's mixed again reviews in terms of fats. I think fat initially was thought as the you bad. Can't, you can't make those kind of statements. Mixed reviews. It is. That's a cop out. That is. It is. No, oh, it's, it's, it's very true. Um, so there was quite a lot of research and saying that kind of reducing fat was the way to go in terms of reducing heart disease risk. Um, and controversially, a few years back, um, someone dug a little deeper into kind of the evidence behind our, that our recommendation. Sound like Charlie, wasn't it? <laughs> what was it? <laughs> and there was kind of some uh, um, people who looked into it and they were like, well, actually there doesn't seem to be that much evidence to fully support that. And the basis from that um, kind of debate changed the guidance a bit. So I don't think it did, though, did it? I it, mean, it kind of did, did in a really? subtle way. So in subtle. Ted, we yeah. were allowed bacon again, weren't we? Is that where it would Instead of just a low-fat message, it was more of a change in the types of fats and what you replace it with. So if you... If your diet is particularly high in saturated fats, do you change it to a unsaturated fat type of fat? Or were people replacing it with refined carbohydrates? So they might have replaced, I don't know, um, a burger which has got lots of saturated fat in with maybe something that was refined carbohydrates so had chips or white bread as a replacement. And actually it's the refined... Um, carbohydrates that is actually having a negative effect so it's what you replace it with are you happy with that answer Matthew? Uh, yeah it wasn't my question but I'm, I'm happy with the answer <laughs> well, this is worse than my vibe <laughs> <laughs> worse than what sorry? my PhD vibe oh <laughs> salt good <laughs> question mark <laughs> oh, I believe it's a great thing it's sugar's the enemy but maybe not well, oh. Sugar is the enemy. Salt is great. What's Question great mark. What, 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 what have you heard so great about salt? Salt is great for you because you, you, <laughs> when you sweat, you lose salt and the body needs salt. Uh, whereas sugar, okay. yeah, you don't need sugar. So 
that's a kind of a blanket kind of recommendation. And if you think back at your comment earlier about the majority of the population are weight, maybe not as active. And they're consuming so a lot of sugar. If you're they? thinking about that particular population, then salt is not good for them because they're not potentially doing the exercise that they're sweating out the, the, the salt and need to replace it. And also... Um, people who are overweight have generally a higher risk of high blood pressure and salt in large quantities can increase the yeah, risks of yeah. blood pressure. But the concern there is if you start creating legislation that sort of blanket legislation that affects is targeted towards obese people and and people who are not obese are gonna be getting the wrong information. No, well even no. general healthy populations that the recommendation is in less than six grams of salt per day six grams but that will be for the general population when you've got people like Matthew who's doing 100 miles a week he will need that yeah. little bit extra not you judging I'm a fond runner I'm a fond runner I didn't do anything you're not doing anything <laughs> 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 why are you doing this two men running John Joe gave up when we started the podcast <laughs> <laughs> well I've got a question from Dan Merrick okay. who was I was running with this morning <laughs> and uh, this is a great one uh, I don't know if you answered those other questions <laughs> well enough, really. Um, if you want to go over the fat and cholesterol question, perhaps again. No, no, that was a good um, idea. And the salt one, maybe you know, a six grams. Would that be enough? For, would that be enough for you? For me, well, it depends. I, I wouldn't. It wouldn't change my daily salts. But if I was six grams, if I was that's to not, do, like... if I was to do a mega run, if I was to do a half marathon, particularly on a hot day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would replace that salt afterwards. So on your chips, <laughs> possibly on chips, possibly on chips, but possibly in the sense that I am um, my kind of drink afterwards would be fifty percent of a fruity juice, kind of like an apple juice, fifty percent water and a sprinkle of salt. Uh, I remember you telling me that one. That was a great one. Mm-hmm. Be pre-race, uh, uh, make up your own drink. Well, I, I remember at my university course, we had a, uh, one of our lecturers said, uh, he came in and said, uh, a certain sports drink is a complete waste of time. You're better off making your own. Why not give it some bad publicity? Because <laughs> I'm determined not to get us sued. <laughs> <laughs> Begins with L, though. Uh, <laughs> I, know the one. I know the one. Yeah, it's, 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 it's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, I love drinking it. To be fair, so it's, it's you know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> they, they used to dish it out with with people, didn't they? Who was sick. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was oh yeah. yeah. And Guinness as well, which is all full of yeah. iron. But oh, the <laughs> professor doesn't agree. No. It's got a little little bit of it. I know it has. I've, I've researched it, Professor. I know it's got like a, a thimble <laughs> of uh, iron. Yeah. He's lacking in research at the moment, though, without yeah. the pubs open. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to, are you happy with those answers that you've given regarding fat? Because I thought fat was really good, you know, and, and cholesterol is a great thing. We need more cholesterol. And uh, the advertisements for uh, these spreads, which are, oh, they're not, that's not real food, is it? Uh, and they want to, you know, lower cholesterol, have some of this spread, which is manufactured. Yeah. Well, cholesterol is an important part of cell membrane, so it is important to have it, yeah. but it's the excess amount. So but for does the it likes cause of yourself, heart disease? Because that was the question. Does there's lots of things that, well, it, it, I take you back to my kind of um, example before, this, the types of research that often 
a lot of the recommendations are based on our survey-based research where we're looking at relationships and associations rather than cause and effect whereas the types of interventions where you would um, have matched groups or a kind of the same group repeating a kind of different diets and seeing actually is there a change over time that they're the ones that are more likely to show whether there's a cause and effect into causing uh, heart disease but there's so many factors that relate to heart disease like family history inactivity um, salt as well as the cholesterol saturated fat um, all sorts of other kind of problems with sleep so a lot of um, shift workers they've noticed that their metabolism changes and that can increase the risks of diabetes and heart disease so there's lots of factors that make it really complex to say truly whether it's cause and effect it's just higher risk so if we look at the um the amount of people who have low saturated fat diets compared to those who have high saturated fat diets we generally see a higher risks of heart disease doesn't prove cause and effect but there's an association there mm, interesting professor interesting oh, and the obvious smoking. the jury so, the jury is out the other one is the smoking obviously Smoking is it calms the nerves, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so I wish someone had told me that before coming on here. Dan Merrick, <laughs> he's talking about fasting. <laughs> fasting. Um, I've heard about fasting. Mm. I've heard some of these Indian <clears throat> gurus, wonderful, wonderful mm. people, uh, who have suggested to me that fasting is a great thing just for the ordinary person. But in relation to sport and running, fasting, if it is beneficial... It, it, why is it beneficial and, and if it, it if you've got reasons for so when would you introduce a fast um <laughs> professor fasting can you give me a definition of fasting because there's so many different ways of fasting oh. there's intermittent kind of fasting for me a fast would be um where you this time you drink water eating. drink water mm. that's it for how long though well, because I'm pretty sure forty days and forty. Days. <laughs> <laughs> you see, for 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 me, I suppose mine is a, is like my morning runs are a sort of a fasted mm-hmm. run. So mm-hmm. my evening meal and then there's nothing. I might just take a, a an espresso in the morning mm-hmm. before I go out, and that that that's it for me for me run there and then yeah. refuel. Later. If I didn't have anything to eat mm-hmm. at all for not maybe not forty days and forty nights, but let's say a day, mm-hmm. just a day, what benefits my body could potentially have? Just drinking water for a day. Is there any, is there any sort of... Yeah. Have you I thought s- about this? I suppose I'll go back to Matthew's point in terms of his fasted runs. There are kind of some benefits um, in terms of training in the sense that it stimulates the body to adapt. So you, you kind of had the adaptation where you get more um, ability to use fat as a fuel mm-hmm. e- more easily, particularly at that uh, 45 to 75 percent of your vo2 max that magic area yeah. you can use fat more easily as a fuel so you'll get benefits from that um, it stimulates particular training adaptations that will benefit running in terms of um fast de- and de- detoxing day, the body yeah. detoxing's a bit of a funny one because your liver and your kidney are the things that help you get rid of toxins so um, what added benefit fasting would give, I don't know. But I know in terms of people who maybe have um, high blood sugars, maybe 
having fasting kind of stimulates them a little bit to um, use fuels differently. So there, there is kind of some research coming out in terms of intermittent fasting, um, particularly to help with diabetes. So does... Let's forget people with diabetes for a moment. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, fasting for just people who don't have any ill health, you know. Do you fast yourself? No, I don't fast myself. So you, you clearly don't really believe in it. Well, um, it's not that I don't believe in it. I, it's not the sort of thing that I've done lots of reading and research around in terms of fasting, but there are kind of benefits into time, restricted feeding and um, intermittent fasting or fasting for even a short period of 24 hours. And there are metabolic changes that can be beneficial. However, you've got to think about the bigger picture in terms of someone's health. So that full day without nutrients, um, are you putting your risk, self-risk, depending on how often you're doing it, are you putting yourself at risk of nutrient deficiencies? Okay, let's imagine that a full day is too long. Let's say half a day. Half a day. Would you, any recommend, would you recommend? And then the other thing is sleep. It's quite clearly, it's quite clearly researched that if you don't have a heavy meal, mm-hmm. three to four hours before bedtime, um, you're going to sleep better. It seems to be. I don't know if you've 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 looked at that. And the problem for running, people are running in groups locally. Mm-hmm. They're running very late at night, and then they're having heavy meals, and they can't sleep. You you speak to people. Uh, you fight. You you know that. Mm-hmm. So. There, there's a benefit there to sleep, but at the same time, there's a, there's a difficulty if you are running late. Mm. What, have you got any suggestions? Yeah, uh, it, for, for those types of people, I would probably change the order of meals a little bit. So having something lighter in the evening, so you would have your kind of what would be a traditional evening meal at your lunch so that you're fully fueled for your training session. And then would maybe have just something like an egg on toast or some cereal post training that is a little bit more easy to digest. Brilliant, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, have you looked at the impacts of, of sleep and, and why would that be? What, what's going on there in the body? Heavy meals before bedtime. Um, well, it's your body trying to digest the food for a start, so it takes time for your body to digest food. So you'll probably have noticed if you've had a big meal, there's lots of gurgling sounds so your your part of the digestion is your stomach um it's kind of like a washing machine for the food in terms of it's breaking it down yeah it's breaking the food down so it's working really hard if you're having a big um chicken pasta kind of meal with loads of veggies and stuff it's going to take a lot of um time for that to digest and and can it reduce I just, I just thought about it. Can it reduce um, your recovery from, uh, like, if you did a hard session mm-hmm. and then went home and had a, a big meal and stuff like that, and obviously then you're trying to go to sleep and stuff. But because you've, you've eaten that, that big meal to try and refuel, you've you've then sort of, I suppose, taken away the energy of your body trying to recover and flush out lactic acid and stuff. Because I've noticed after, after I've done a hard session and, and had a meal not long after, sometimes I can feel a little bit more aches and pains and, like, as if the I've swapped the body over to sort of, Trying to digest rather than right. trying to re- yeah, recover yeah. and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I think there's um, there's kind of like a maximum your body can deal with it at one period mm. of time. So generally you'll see, particularly on things like um, protein bars and stuff, they generally have a magic number of 20 grams of yeah. protein and a certain amount of carbohydrates. And they generally have that because your body can process that quite 
easily, I suppose, straight after trading. Mm. And then it's possibly better to have another smaller amount rather than, but it's not ideal. So most people, like you say, train late at night, going to bed. So having that second kind of um, snack or meal to replace all of the fuels that you've used is not always the case. So everyone's individual and it's trying to find something that fits best with that person through the day providing you're getting your energy for your normal activities and for your training sessions throughout the day then there's not necessarily any benefit of having it at specific times but if you are kind of struggling for time um trying to have something as close to after training is probably the the better option veganism what's it all about (laughs) you've done some research you've got me on my toes today (laughs) you've done some research Mm-hmm. Game Changers mm-hmm. documentary. Yeah, I've heard about it. I've, I've not watched it. No, I haven't. Um, the floor's yours, Claire. For veganism. Veganism, yeah. It. What's it all about? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And um, why? Why has there been a sea change? Well, is it really about ethics, or is it more about people feeling guilty about gluttony? Well, I don't can't comment on that. I don't think, but I'm quite glad you've brought that up. Actually, the veganism bit. So, um, I've got myself a PhD student. Oh, what sorry? A PhD student, Catherine Jones. Very good. Hello, Catherine. You're listening so to the mother of all sports shows. She started at the university in January, mm. and she's doing a research project looking at a transition. Um, from either an omnivore or a vegetarian diet to a vegan diet Um, and kind of the challenges or kind of facilitators so things that help people to become vegan as opposed to getting in the way Um, so yeah so I'm quite interested to see what actually comes out of her research but Mm. early days of that yeah Um, but yeah I suppose there is quite a big increase of people going towards veganism or at least um, kind of being a meat reducer so people who might replace a traditional meat burger with a plant-based burger why are they doing this so traditionally vegans probably did it more for ethical reasons for okay. animal welfare yes but there's been more of a shift particularly with um, issues around climate change okay um, and the relationship between um, meat production and kind of um animals and livestock and the impact that has on um, greenhouse gases um, and the kind of pollution that comes with agriculture so there's been a shift towards um, veganism for that kind of reason do you see any truth in that um yeah it's quite a complex one actually in terms of climate change because when you um, look at climate change it's in the realm of sustainability so the world has a limited natural resources so the amount of land that we have that is suitable for growing crops or for livestock is quite small uh, you've seen things you'll have probably seen in the news um, to feed livestock they're growing soybeans in rainforest so they're chopping down the amazon rainforest to grow soybeans to feed the cows to feed us and in actual fact if we just ate the soybeans then the impact on the forest would be much less because the amount of soybeans needed to feed the animals to give us enough protein is 
much more than what we'd need for soybeans. So there is some evidence towards that, but it gets complicated in the sense that it's not just about replacing. So um, people might go from a, an animal milk to a plant milk, but if you go from cow's milk to almond milk, um, a lot of almond milk requires honeybees to pollinate mm. and the monocultures were starting to see dying off of honeybees uh, and kind of bees are really important for mm. pollination and to keep enough food to, for this growing planet. I mean, there's going to be about 9.5 billion people here in the net by 2050 and we're at 7 billion now. So if we carry on the way we're going, we're not going to have enough land to grow enough food um but there's also the water costs so to for each pint of milk from a cow you need much much water, more water than you do if you were doing plant milks um but that doesn't necessarily mean it again it's it's different for different milks so some milks like peanut milks probably um or nut milks tend to be more demanding in terms of water so it, it, it's a really complex thing so there's not just the greenhouse gases water use land use conversion biodiversity it, it's really really complex and it's not just a case of swapping it's looking at the bigger food system and trying to think well what can i do that's going to have the least impact on the planet any suggestions for that <laughs> so um, let's see <laughs> It's, it's yeah um i think there's gotta be a lot in terms of um fair trade as well so not is it just not just about the process and planting and things like that but fair and equal distribution of foods across the world and making sure that people who are involved in producing food that they're paid a fair wage and farmers getting profit to be able to reinvest and improve their practices um, so I've been li- listening to some other po- podcasts on Table Talk um, where they talk about kind of going back to different processes. So um, trying to improve soil quality so the actual nutrients that are in the food are better. So yeah, it's really complex, really complex issue. But mm. going back to kind of more natural ways of growing things, but in a way that does it to, to being able to increase the yield of food produced so it's not just a case of getting rid of pesticides to reduce the amount of pollution but thinking about all other ways to keep the yield up so if you just take fertilizers away you're not going to have enough food produced because the yield will go down but if you improve the soil quality you will potentially have the same amount of yield so really complex and it, it's a holistic approach it's not just one thing that's going to cure it it's going to be investment in technology there's cell uh, cultured meat now so rather than being plant-based or animal-based growing in a lab doing me mm-hmm. that's um are you in support of that i'm watching this space at this minute it's quite interesting but again i listen to a podcast and they're, t- they're talking about it in terms of like a frankenstein meat mint mm. um or could we create a meat from cells and in a culture which is kind of like eating a dog and you're like where are these boundaries going but it's done from cells so it's not from an animal right right yeah there's lots of different things and up and coming i I mean it's it's all nice to talk about these up and coming things you know which i respect but in practice it's not going to happen is it 
<laughs> it needs a lot of technological, if I get the right word right, um, investment, I suppose. So they, they can do it. They've done it. And I think I remember it saying that Singapore might actually, I think it's Singapore. Are you talking about Frankenstein meats? No, they might be having a, a what was it called now? Some sort of chicken. No, I don't, don't just mean that. I mean, a cell, mean cell based the, chicken. The holistic approach that you mentioned. Oh, the holistic Across the well, world, you know, it's, 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 it's an interesting time, actually. How are you going to force people to pay a fair wage across the globe? Well, this is the thing. How are so you going to do that the, in practice? Me personally, <laughs> I, me personally, I probably wouldn't be held to do it on my own, but um, there's a lot of promise at the minute. So um, I think in Glasgow in September, there's going to be a big food system meeting. United Nations, getting loads of people around the table. By the way, I've got friends in Glasgow who have a business. Mm-hmm. It's called Rainbow Turtle. Check it out, Rainbow Turtle. And every particular product is fair trade. Right. They've okay. even got a rice, which is from a landlocked country in mm-hmm. Africa, which is very difficult to source mm-hmm. fur trade because it's landlocked. Mm-hmm. And they've managed to source it fur trade. That was a couple of years ago. Right. So have a look at Rainbow Turtle. Rainbow Turtle. Mm. Okay, I'll look that up. Yeah. I might write it down on my Cole, book pad. Cole, my good friend there, he's heavily involved in that. Rainbow, Rainbow Turtle. Turtle. Matthew. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> so something we've, uh, me, me and Jade have been working with, or mm-hmm. actually Jade's been working with um, on her uh, Paralympic Futures Academy, uh, the British Athletics Nutritionist. Mm-hmm. Um, and she... I think some of our listeners are, are new runners and some of them are um, sort of competitive runners and things like that. So one of the things that Jade's really struggled with and <clears throat> that might be interested to the listeners, I suppose, is, is her background comes from um, uh, sort of, she was doing like Weight Watchers and things mm-hmm. like that and everything where it was all about counting calories and trying to keep everything low and everything like that. And, and she's always had that, that, that mindset whenever she thinks and I suppose I've, I've added to it in, in ways because um, I'm not I'm not a traditionally like stick thin Kenyan sort of you know that sort of design of distance runner mm-hmm. a little bit bulkier and things like that um, and I always struggle with my weight I suppose on, on that side um, so I'm my not surprised yeah. look at this food um, <laughs> and um, you know I know I, you know listen to stories of my mum and stuff like that where when she was competing you know for a period of time, she she dropped to like a thousand calories a day and things mm-hmm. like that to try and lose weight and get ready for races and stuff. And so I've done things like that. And obviously Jade's heard me mention that and see me do that. And so she's tried doing it. Um, and then obviously we're speaking to this this the British athletic nutritionist and he's looking at you know her. She's kept a food diary for him and, and, and he's looking at it going, but you need to eat a lot more calories. You're not mm-hmm. eating enough calories. You, you you know. Both me and Jade are probably looking at like one thousand six hundred calories and things like this sort of stuff and things. And he's like, no, you know, you've got to be three thousand calories and, yeah. and four thousand calories. She's like, and she's listening to him, and, and I'm sort of, I know it in my head, and you know, I did, I did modules of nutrition in me in the sports science degree, so the, the knowledge is there. But I'm, but because I sort of struggle with my weight, and I never really get down to where I feel I need to be in, in race weights and stuff like that. I'm always trying to limit the food I'm, I'm taking and stuff, and. Um, even though I'm doing the high miles and stuff like that, I just never seem to be able to shift it. Um, so, but it, you know, he's really sort of, because you know, Jade's feeling, whereas I, I feel fine on that sort mm-hmm. of character, I seem to be okay. Jade's feeling really tired and really lethargic off it and, and really struggling and stuff like that with things. And he's like, you know, you're not eating enough food, you're not consuming enough calories or anything like that. You, you know, um, the, the sources we're having the food from and, and, and the things like that are fine, but we're just not eating anywhere near enough of yeah. it. 
Um, so how do you sort of balance that from, I suppose, that mindset of, you know, you're coming from, you know, a weight loss perspective mm-hmm. where you have to restrict and, mm-hmm. and things like that, to then to a performance perspective where you've got to make sure you're, you're eating enough to, to have enough fuel in your, in your body. Mm, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one, particularly if you have been used to dieting and counting calories and kind of being really methodical with your calorie intake. Um, but I'd recommend something like doing a My Fitness Pal or something, mm. where you're looking at how many calories you've actually used. Track not only your, your calorie intake, but your calorie expenditure. Um, have you heard of Reds? Relative Energy Deficit in Sport. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, it used to be called a female athlete. Yeah. Tired, you'll probably know more yeah, of yeah, that. That's what, yeah. um, and by not having sufficient energy uh, intake, you put yourself at particular risk, not just for performance and feeling yeah. lethargic and things, but there's a whole host of different physiological adaptations or changes to the function that can mean you're immunocompromised, um, particularly with females to get amenorrhea and kind of resulting with bone problems. There's a whole host of problems associated yeah. with that. So in terms of um, that, there's um, the IOC documents on... Right kind of how many calories you need for optimum physiological function and it's about 45 calories per kilogram of uh, fat-free mass mm-hmm. so you probably only know your true mass you yeah. might not know your f- uh, fat mass so if you can get your fat-free mass times by 45 and then add in whatever extra calories you need for your training so if you've done a thousand calories on a run yeah. you would need in addition to that 45 calories per kilogram of fat free mass, you would need that extra thousand nice. to be um, in that optimum physiological function. Yeah. And I suppose in, when anyone's been used to dieting, kind of retraining that brain is yeah. going to take some time, some confidence. So going from where she's at the minute, 1600 yeah. calories to maybe the three or 4,000 calories that the, the nutritionist is recommending, is going to be terrifying. Yeah. She's going to be checking herself on yeah, the scales yeah. and things like that. So well, she, 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 she followed it. it. Yeah, she did follow it for, a, for she mm. followed it for a week or so, and um, and to be fair, she weighed herself at the end of that week, and it was the lightest she'd ever been. Yeah. And then, but then she she went back off it though and wasn't following it as yeah. much sort of thing. But but uh, yeah, it, it, but for me that was like a bit of proof that you know yeah that's right work. we do need to and, mm. and I suppose the other bit is that and the reason maybe that both me and and Jay don't don't when we are eating those low calories, don't lose the weight or it doesn't seem to make any difference is we're, we're putting ourselves into a starvation yeah. sort of mode and our bodies, yeah, yeah. everything we are eating, it's just then retaining as much mm-hmm. as it can because it doesn't know when it's going to get that, that yeah. next meal in a way sort of thing. And, and it could be the result of why your Achilles or whatever issue you've been having isn't healing yeah. Yeah. very well. You're not giving it <laughs> enough my body. My post tendon that uh, yes. yeah, doesn't want to recover at all. Yeah. <laughs> Give us some food and it'll, it'll fix better. <laughs> Well, Professor, I've always found cornflakes fascinating. <laughs> oh, God. Um, that was a bit left field. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, I've, I've, I've always, I've often, I've, did you know, did you know that cornflakes, do you know the origin of that product, by the way? Kellogg's. I did watch something about that in America one time. I can't really remember the, the, the kind of full story of it but I do remember something about America well, it was created by a fellow I believe his name was John Kellogg he had a brother Sounds the whole idea feasible. the whole idea of, of the cornflake thing mm-hmm. originally was they didn't want fellas getting a bit too 
aroused. I wanted to keep them energy down, and, and, and that was the reason. You know, that basically, no nutrition. His brother wanted to add a bit of sugar to sell. He's more of a businessman. Mm -hmm. He disagreed, but he put the sugar in anyway, and, and they they sold well. Mm -hmm. When you look across the board, you see schools serving up these um, um, conflicts with zero nutrition or is there something in them it's not just cardboard <laughs> it's not just cardboard question mark <laughs> <laughs> no it's not just cardboard um quite a lot of uh, not necessarily conflicts but a lot of cereals are fortified with extra vitamins and is minerals. that a serious quote that we should be leaving <laughs> no i mean i mean i when i look at that i just laugh and giggle <laughs> But do you, do you look at what fortified that word fortified when it says on a Cheerio packet, <laughs> this is fortified. You know, like well, I can open, still open the box. <laughs> you know, is it serious, serious, um, serious uh, language that you would believe in? Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. fortified. It's, it, yeah, because those types of things are regula regulated. So there's certain things, cardboard. food claims, food claims are regulated by food labelling, particularly in the. UK and EU. Are they regulated, uh, would you say, well enough? Good question. Well, I don't know, I mean, I'm being, it's a serious question. It, it's not something I've kind of dug into deeply to see how it's monitored. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it is regulated and people can only put it on if they've, they've done what they've said. And what, uh, what, apart from the packaging, mm -hmm. what are these uh, particular products fortified with? Um, so it depends. So uh, particularly with plant milks, they are often fortified by, with calcium, vitamin D and iodine because they're the types of nutrients that you get naturally in, in animal milks. So what does, we that have even, to what does that even mean though? Sorry. You know, when, it's, when they say fortified, it sounds like they've it's really added. They've added like yeah, spinach to them. Or... <laughs> they haven't added spinach, but they'll have added, you know, like you can buy a supplement as a tablet. Yeah, yeah. It'll be similar sort of synthetic kind of um, vitamin or mineral added to the product to try and match it to the alternative. So um, when butter was replaced with margarine, for it to be considered as a replacement for butter, it had to have nutrients added to it to match what butter is. What is the alternative to Kellogg's um, Rice Krispies, though? I don't know. <laughs> well, it's not so much for those where it's a replacement for something that already exists that has natural vitamins. But those types of products um, might still be fortified. So iron sometimes, folic acid sometimes. So um, it depends on the product. Some um, breads are fortified with different nutrients. Um, so it, it can be seen as a bit of a market employee, um, particularly with uh, nutrients that people are, are kind of concerned about. But it can be a good way for people to get nutrients. So particularly if we're looking at vegans who replace... Um, meat with plant-based foods um, meat is a good source of iron and particularly for runners we need iron to carry the haemoglobin and keep our oxygen transported um, so you've led me nicely into the next question oh have i now uh, my father used to when i was a young child and in fact even when i was uh, in my 20 in my 20s questions gonna be about potatoes. <laughs> no he, he he used to force uh, he would still like to cod liver oil down mm -hmm. my neck mm -hmm. every day mm -hmm. every month the liquid as mm -hmm. well you know and it, uh, we never really cared much for it it mm -hmm. wasn't cod liver oil um could it possibly help with matthew's achilles tendon problems 
a very specific question. No, no, no. But it's cod liver oil. Is, is it? Is it? You know? Is it the the seven? You know, the seven seas. Is it a great thing? Um, my uh, friend, the the bin wagon uh, driver, there, he he said, "Cod liver oil. Oh, God, that's great stuff. That is." And I've got an old bottle there in the mm-hmm. in the uh, in the uh, the larder, and um, I dug it out the other day and I started shoveling it down. My, you know, because I, I got it into my head that cod liver oil, it tastes bad, so it must be good. <laughs> <laughs> is that right? Is that how it works? <laughs> That's quite an interesting thought process. Um, but cod liver oil has got some benefits in the sense it's got vitamin D, it's a good source of omega-3 fatty acids. So th- there are some benefits, but it depends whether you can get them naturally from food as well. So if people don't like fish, but they don't mind taking a supplement. You can get your omega threes there. I like fish, but I know I wouldn't have it every day. You know, I, I, I'm, I, you know, I'll eat anything really. But um, supplements, mm-hmm. daily multivitamin tablets. The, let's go back to runners if we can. Mm-hmm. You, you're on. You're living on the edge. Well, Matthew's certainly living on the edge of a treadmill um, <laughs> with his feet just above the uh, <laughs> the thing. Um, <laughs> Like but we are, it does feel like that sometimes. You work hard, mm-hmm. you come home, and then if you want to be good at anything that you want to do, you've got to practice, haven't you? Mm-hmm. And it can feel like energy levels are... You go for your long Sunday run, maybe, and you feel a bit, oh, you've not had enough rest, it's getting the balance right. Mm-hmm. So what I'm asking you again, because I want to go back to this question, the ultimate diet mm-hmm. for the average person, mm-hmm. uh, some food suggestions... For the average person, and then the people who are living on the edge, what we really need to be thinking about, perhaps food suggestions, multivitamin tablets, and cod liver oil. Take it away. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, that's a massive question. So there's there's no perfect diet. So if there's been a few programs trying to get to the crux of what's the perfect diet, and you've got your uh, Italians who are centurions, they've got the highest amount of people in the hundreds. Um, and they particularly have lots of olive oil, lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, and that seems to be a really uh, positive thing in terms of health. But they also kind of work on the land and kind of are physically active, so it's not just the diet, it's the lifestyle per se. So we could throw that as an so ultimate, as one, an ultimate of course, one, you would the have med- the, yeah, yeah, you the, would med- have the Mediterranean kind of yeah, style, yeah. the physical activity, the, the fresh fruits, the... The less processed is probably the better option. I think that's, uh, for me, that's an obvious one. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's um, got to be, hasn't it, really? Yeah. Um, and they have very small amounts of dairy foods, but then you've got, like, Icelandic, which actually came up at Op Top. Really? Um, and they do have quite a lot of animal milks, and they have a lot of meat, and less in terms of fruits and vegetables, but they still come out with really low risks of heart health and problems like that. Um but again, it could be to do with lifestyle. They spend lots of time outdoors and cold and have that a really nice important. balanced lifestyle. Obviously, it's really important active mm. lifestyle, yeah. So I wouldn't necessarily say there's any particular perfect diet, but trying to get a balance of all nutrients. So lots of plenty of fresh fruits and vegetables. Can we talk about, can we also talk about your diet? Because as a perfect, you must know. Yeah, let's talk about what you're, what you're, yeah, no, I mean, what, mm-hmm. you know, what, what are you consuming? Yeah, so... I class myself as pescatarian, so um, I don't tend to eat animal meats. I 
try fit. to limit dairy. Fish is an animal meat, isn't it? No. Yeah, um, it's a fish rather than an animal per se. But yeah, I don't know. No, it's, it's still flesh. Yeah, it's still flesh. Yeah. I suppose in one respect. So yeah, so I eat fish, seafood, that type of thing. Um, so is that for ethical reasons, by the way, that you don't? It eat was. Beef? Yeah, it, it was, and I kind of am. But you don't mind um, lobsters and things well, like that. Well, this is the thing. I'm finding it really challenging. I suppose for myself, I'm very much trying to get a balance of. Um, trying to be more ethical, trying to be more sustainable in terms of my food intake, but also not kind of making really difficult kind of home life in terms of my husband, he isn't pescatarian, but will eat pescatarian pretty much all the time, but he'll eat chicken and meat when he goes out. So it's trying to have something that we can both share rather than having to cook separate meals each but go on, go into detail about your what you're consuming. So what so, my yeah. typical day would be yeah. is I generally make my own kind of muesli type thing in the morning. So some sort of oats. I do use um, oat milk instead of animal milks. Um, I use cacao, which is kind of like um, cocoa, kind of chocolatey kind of nibs. Mm-hmm. No, I don't know. Um, I don't know so what co- the, yeah. um, antioxidants they have in kind of dark, a bit like a dark chocolate has antioxidants. Good for you. Um, and then we'll have a mix of different types of nuts, hazelnuts, walnuts, um, maybe a bit of dried fruit. Um, so that oh, and a chopper on it on my breakfast. So that's a pretty much standard seven days. Are we week. talking a, a giant bowl? No, well, it used to be. Uh, I got to a point where. Uh, suppose a bit like Jade's kind of yeah. conscious of the calories and stuff. Um, I, I used to kind of just put in whatever and then I uh, had to do a food diet for someone at university and um, when I poured out my ser- my oats, there was 90 grams of oats in and the typical recommendation is probably about 40 grams of oats. And I was like, oh my God, bit by bit, because I, I used to get like the little sachet type things. And bit by bit, it's gone from 40 grams up to 90 grams of carbohydrate uh, of oats. So, yeah, I've, I started weighing it now. So, it's kind of, unless I've got, like, a big training week on, I'll probably stick to about 40 grams for breakfast. That doesn't sound like anything at all, um, 40 grams. But, mm. yeah. but carry on, got, carry on with you. You've got your yeah. dried fruit, your banana and your yeah. nuts and stuff. So, it's, it's a nutritious kind of start to the day, I like to think. And then lunch... Typically, some sort of protein, whether it be um, eggs or a fish like tuna or something like that. Maybe some tofu um, as an alternative. Um, I make my own hummus now as well, so uh, that type of thing um, with some sort of carbohydrate. Generally high fibre, so GI bread is one of my favourites. Some oat cakes, that type of thing. Um, maybe some potatoes. And then evening meal, quite Mediterranean style. So there's usually some sort of tomato-based sauce with a pasta. Um, my husband makes these amazing tuna fish balls. I keep calling them tuna meatballs and get funny <laughs> looks when you say, so yeah, tuna balls. Um, but yeah, that type of thing. So very tomato-based and, sauces. And the fluid, you're drinking a lot of water. Water. Yes. All day long water. Water, maybe a bit of peppermint tea. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's a typical kind of day, but and, and, literally. In terms of supplements, you you. 
Um, don't take any. I take vitamin D because most people in the UK have low vitamin D. Uh, you can only absorb vitamin D from March to October. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, yeah. And actually, majority of us in the UK, we run outdoors at the key time. So that midday sun is when you need it. Oh, yeah. About 15 minutes, so kind of safe sun exposure. So the sun in February doesn't count? Doesn't count. I wonder why that is. It's the hemisphere, it's the way that oh, I think yeah. the UV light bounces off the surface. Oh, yeah, interesting. Mm. So, yeah, so vitamin D, definitely take that. I also take glucose. It's one tablet a day, is it, mm-hmm. that you take for the, yeah. the vitamin D? And you find that gives you a, a spring in your step? <laughs> well, no complaints yet. Matthew, bring well, you on. Yeah, on the, on the other side, there's mm-hmm. something I've seen, um, I suppose. In, yeah, in relation to the running, um, I've seen a lot of athletes currently um, sort of promoting and, and getting little sponsorships with uh, CBD oils mm-hmm. um, and, and uh, rubs and gels and things like that. Um, and obviously, it's, I, I thought it was, you know, because obviously it's, it's a, a cannabinoid sort of mm-hmm. uh, substance and things. And um, I would have thought it was like on the bands list and then I looked into it because I kept seeing, I think I saw Ailis McCoglin was promoting mm-hmm. one currently. Um, and... Um, Steeple Squigs, I can't remember if that's her Instagram, I can't remember her name, but she's a, um, a top uh, steeplechaser in America. Um, she's been promoting them recently and stuff like that on Instagram. And yeah, so and, and obviously with Affinity 2 both uh, helping with sleep and things and helping with injuries. And you know, I was sort of looking at them with me, with me, uh, the injury they're currently going, uh, struggling with and stuff like that. And what's is there anything to it? Is it a, a good marketing campaign there that's going good on? Good question. Or it's not something I've looked in it, into in any detail whatsoever. My dog is yeah. actually on it, though. Right. Uh, she has oil. She's got arthritis, bless her yeah. little cotton socks. She's almost 10. And since we've put her on it, she's like a little puppy. So yeah. normally, like, wind down about 9 o'clock at night, we'd put a movie on or something. She's bounced around like a little <laughs> puppy. So, yeah actually not so happy that we've given her that um so yeah i I don't know in terms of human studies and things like that but um good question with the band list and looking at the likes of informed sports which i don't know whether you've heard of informed sports to kind of look at regulating um supplement use mrs blair hassett just been to the stock room the (laughs) matthews shop but don't worry it's we're not uh we're not out of time just yet Mm -hmm. So we'll continue. We'll continue. Any more questions, Matthew? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the other one is obviously with um, with interest in, in endurance athletes mm-hmm. and, and things like that. Um, eating disorders is, mm. a, is a is a massive massive thing. And to be fair, I, both me and Jane probably are on the on the side of. I'm sure people could look at us and, and question at times whether we have eating disorders, and I don't know whether we do or not. And my mum always worries. Um, Especially with, with me and with, with that calorie sort of intake, I, I would say I would because I, I enjoy eating food, mm-hmm. but I do I do binge, mm-hmm. um, and I do I, I mean we we'll, we we will go to the shop and pretty much buy the shop's worth of, of chocolate. To be fair, uh, you know if we've mm-hmm. if we've had um, either big runs or we're both feeling a bit uh, down or whatever and stuff like that, and and, and um, yeah, I'm talking like. You know, six or seven chocolate bars, a packet of biscuits, and and, and, and some cakes or something like that. So we 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 do eat quite a lot, and and we'll binge that in an evening and things at times, and and then other times we we won't eat anything at all, sort of thing, because we're you know we're trying to uh, lose weight and stuff for races and stuff. But yeah, obviously, 
it's quite a common thing in endurance athletes, both from a, mm-hmm. um, I suppose from a, a training perspective in terms of they need to lose weight to take pressure off the joints and things, but mm-hmm. also from a, um, a perception perspective, especially in, in women, mm-hmm. um, maybe more so than men, maybe maybe just as equal, but you hear about it less in men, yeah. um, less to talk about it and stuff like that. But um, it's something I, I know I, I always feel, I stand on the start lines against someone like, like John Joe, who, who is a, I would say that typical Kenyan sort of looking uh, sort of fella in terms of his build and stuff like mm-hmm. that, um, in comparison to, to myself. Um, I know Jade, uh, Jade has got it uh, significantly now that she's, she's, when she's been competing and things like that, uh, it doesn't help that a lot of times she's competing against um, some of the teenagers and stuff like that, and some mm. of the open races, so she, you know, fifteen-year-old girls and things, um, and there's all the crop tops and all the rest of it and stuff Different like that. And she's shapes. coming from a, mm. she's coming from a, a, a background where where she was sort of sixteen stone and, mm-hmm. and come down to, to where she is today, sort of thing. And so, yeah, we, I suppose we're always on that fine line mm. um, as athletes. And I know my mum was always on that fine line, and saw plenty of other athletes around her that had eating disorders and things, and and. And the other one is, is the comments you get from people. Mm-hmm. Um, I know she had a comment when she went to pick up her Olympic kit. Was that mm-hmm. was she a um, was she one of the coaches or something like that? Yeah. And she was like, no, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the marathon, I'm a marathon mm-hmm. runner. Um, oh yeah, what's, I, I don't know whether there's a questionnaire in there. <laughs> what, what's your sort of you know um, I suppose thoughts on on endurance athletes and eating disorders in there and that sort of. Well. Yeah, I think I think it is quite a challenging one. I think there's loads of different subcategories that aren't classified necessarily as an eating disorder medically but there's things like orthorexia where people are eating super healthy and kind of have a real fear of kind of chocolates biscuits and wouldn't eat anything like that or you've got your bigorexias where there's men who maybe are putting on um loads of loads of muscle to kind of feeling like they're too small and Mm. you know kind of the masculinity side of things so it is a really complex thing and i think hopefully things can change with changes in people's opinions about body shape and how it contributes so you've got the likes of Usain Bolt who he's not your typical sprint athlete is he in terms of his physique um you've got people like your Linford Christie's who didn't really have great technique but could he run yeah and I think people maybe hone in on some things that um are possibly some element of it is genetic in terms of where we store our body fat we can't pick and choose you know I would love to be able to go right I'm only going to lose weight on my belly and never lose on my chest kind of thing but that just doesn't happen so I think there is kind of a genetic component to that and honing in on the best you can do for yourself so fueling yourself is probably going to be more beneficial than kind of um, trying to lose that little bit of weight Um, if you've got fully fuels um, muscles you might even put on a bit of weight which is not actually physical fat it's just your the storage form of, of carbohydrate glycogen stores with water so you could feel you know a couple of kilos heavier but actually not be extra weight yeah. it, it's in in real terms yeah. of your body composition it's fuel so it can be a lot to get around in terms of your psychological because a lot of people um, who carb loads for the first time, you know, before a marathon or something, mm. they feel bloated and, and rubbish because of it. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of it is that psychological feeling, but it's extra water stored mm. in the muscles kind of thing. 
Um, in terms of where we go, I think there's lots of things that need to kind of change. And I was listening to one of your podcasts earlier um, and looking at kind of the gender differences. Um, I know you've been talking about the cross-country kind of distance no, yeah, and kind of going around the circles, but you'd asked, about, I think, both Kelly and Rachel what you think of the kind of inequalities. And it suddenly dawned on me, and it comes back to this body image, body confidence, confidence kind of stuff and the potential for eating disorders and I looked at the men's clothes for at the Olympics which are generally cycling shorts down yeah. possibly to the knee and kind of a vest and then you've got the females who are in essentially yeah, knickers perfect. and a little crop top I thought is that kind of an element that is encouraging eating yeah. disorders um okay at least putting people in that position same with gymnasts you look at the men they are majority of the men will have the long tights yeah. but the women are just in a little leotard and it kind of there's a lot of cultural yeah. changes I suppose that needs to happen uh, in terms of eating disorders and normalising different body shapes and um, you'd like, can actually compete really well you, you'd like to see the women covered up professor <laughs> I just think that well, it starts at school doesn't it yeah there's quite a difference in the way the men and the women are dressed it starts at school and whether that kind of Skirts and trousers. Well, it is, yeah. So and even you rather, beyond that, like would you be happier with all the girls with in trousers? I don't Cho- know. Choice. 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 Okay. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So. Okay. And then uh, I've got one before for you here. Yeah. Uh, my cousin John, um, he's got me on the whiskey, and uh, he reckons if I drink a glass of whiskey before going to bed mm-hmm. it's going to be over 12 years old or 12 years or, or, or older uh, I don't know what you're laughing at I'm, professor I'm, I'm just thinking, <laughs> I'm just thinking um, I don't think I'm qualified to answer this whatever <laughs> questions come up now you don't know you don't, you <laughs> don't. Um, uh, it's uh, as, as well as a glass of red wine perhaps um the antioxidants okay. um, very bene- very much beneficial mm-hmm. but the whiskey has indeed got to be at least 12 years old can you uh, confirm that he's talking good sense I don't know about the whiskeys per se but uh, there is quite a bit of research in terms of the red wine and um, the phytochemicals that are in there and the flavonoids. I've heard of this flavonoid yeah um, flavonoids should we, be seeking, should we be seeking more and more of them um, well, it's a good question. There's a lot of debate. There's some research that shows beneficial in terms of um, things like blood pressure and things like that. Um, and this is in alcohol, basically? Well, it's in red wine. Particularly, particularly red, red wine. yeah. The red grape. Mm-hmm, the red grape. Not the white, just the no, red grape. The, red. the flavonoids. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. And, um, but you can get it in things like red bush tea as well. So there's lots of different ways get it you've got to think about kind of the very much same flavonoids similar there might be different components and different ones but if you think about calories if you there's benefits to getting it in different ways so what about alcohol then what about alcohol so we've we've said that you've said you've confirmed that red wine is is, Mm -hmm. is a great thing and that we should a, a drink. <laughs> that, that paraphrase was slightly distorted. Slight <laughs> <laughs> drinking warning. My old friend, sensibly. Uh, <laughs> Say again, Matthew. I was saying slight drinking warning there. Please don't oh. sensibly. <laughs> <laughs> the um, my old friend uh, Bernie, who sadly passed uh, most recently, 
he would always have a glass of red wine with his dinner, which I, I do tend to have a glass with my dinner, you know. Me too. And, um, well, you never mentioned that in your... Uh, your uh, I think you, you know, rudely interrupted me. You, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, you got went through right? water and you, you didn't mention the red wine. So, okay, we've added to your dietary yeah. requirements. Mm-hmm. The red wine, mm-hmm. a full bottle, you say? No. I would have a small glass with most of the meals. And the, uh, mm-hmm. Do you find, do you know about like the different grapes and the different wi- red wines? Are they some more beneficial than others? <laughs> Probably. Um, I've not looked into it in much detail. A, a colleague of mine who's left and gone to a different university, she did quite a lot of research in that area, but it's not really my bag. I'm more in food sustainability kind of stuff now. Forget the flavonoids. What about the alcohol itself? Alcohol it, it, itself. It, it thins the blood. So there's, People there's have... um, kind of your, is it J-shaped curve, I suppose? So if you think about kind of no alcohol, and then you've got small amounts of alcohol, and you've got excessive amounts of alcohol. So if you have no alcohol, you have a slightly higher risk of heart disease than someone who has small, moderate amounts. But then it increases the more alcohol you consume, the higher the risk of heart disease. So there's the kind of optimums so, is to have the optimum small is to is to get mm-hmm. alcohol into the diet. Mm-hmm. I, I you know it's it's an interesting one, is it? Because a lot of people you see have a great fear of of alcohol as mm-hmm. a bad thing, and I can understand why because people you know they drink far too much and they behave yeah. atrociously, and, and and then they have regrets and all this. Mm-hmm. But just that little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of scotch or red wine. You're not sure about the scotch, but you'll get, sure back, to scotch, you'll get, back, but yeah, get back to me on that. Yeah, definitely the red wine. But it's thinking about it in, in the re- bigger picture in terms of your training goals and stuff. So it does dehydrate you a little bit. So if you're going what, to be just training... A, just a small amount? Not so much a small amount, but if yeah. you're having large amounts of alcohol, it's a diuretic. Okay. So thinking about that in terms of your training, um, in terms of calories, if you are trying to... It, Again, it's empty. But we're only having calories. one glass with mm-hmm. our meals. Yeah, meal, so, so moderate amounts, fine. And the alcohol itself. Yeah, it's interesting, that, Professor. Mm-hmm. Matthew? Yeah, I mean, my, my, um, I suppose my last one is, is really on the, on the running side of things, pre-race food. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked about it plenty of times on the podcast. Mm-hmm. My, my big pre-race is, is two days before, I'll mm-hmm. have... Um, I sort of cobble a load a little bit with pasta and things like that, like pasta and dish and, and stuff. And then the night before um, the race, more uh, it's more, I'm trying to get this through to John Joe, but he never follows me on this one, is it's to do with calming the nerves and mm-hmm. relaxing. And uh, Usain Bolt is a, is a is, is quite a, a figure who, who sort of did this similar sort of thing. Um, I have a McDonald's. That's beer, mm-hmm. and because because for me it's such a normal sort of mm-hmm. not sort of focus. I'm not overly focused. I'm not sort of like panicking on what I'm eating or anything. It's just you know I'm not going mad with the McDonald's, but it's like you know I'm not supersizing it and all the rest. But it's you know I'm just having a McDonald's meal with a, a Budweiser or something like that, and that's just sort of just calms the nerves, lets me just relax the night before. Um, obviously Usain Bolt was famous for having chicken nuggets yep, uh, before his yep. his race and. The reason um, I've always thought for that, and I don't know whether he's ever answered it properly, was um, it was back in Beijing, and most of the athletes, the British team, for example, all got food poisoning because mm-hmm. um, they went out trying all the different meals. Mm-hmm. Usain Bolt stuck to something that he yeah. could get back at home or get wherever he went, um, which chicken nuggets from McDonald's. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, is there, is, is there any sort of 
you know, is that, is that a good idea? Is that, what, what's, your, what's your thoughts on, on that? <laughs> I think the thing that you've hit on that I would recommend is kind of not trying something new yeah. before a race. That is always a recipe for disaster, really. Um, so finding something that works for you and trying it out and training for definite. Um, so yes, carb loading is great when you're doing a marathon and kind of thing. But if you're not going to be running a marathon, if you're going to be doing a Usain Bolt 100 metres, he doesn't really need yeah. to carb load. But definitely recommend finding something whether it is a kind of placebo effect that normalization chilling yourself out or whether it's a particular food that fuels you best and doesn't make you feel bloated or whatever that might be definitely practice and that goes with race nutrition pre and during as well never try anything new there you go john joe mcdonald's perfectly good fuel for me that's why i beat you (laughs) This is so, ridiculous. Paraphrasing yeah. <laughs> that's going on here. I did not recommend vast amounts of alcohol and I did not recommend McDonald's. Professor McDonald's, that really, let's be honest, it's not fit for human consumption. <laughs> it can't be. You and also, what? I would suggest that it surely must be uh, one of the leading contributors to the obesity epidemic in this country. I don't on every corner, you'll find one of those god awful places. <laughs> I'd, I'm not going to comment on McDonald's per se. Um, as a dietitian, I'm not allowed to comment, promote a particular brand, or def- um, kind of be negative against the brand. Mm. However, I think the McDonald's adverts—they are the best adverts. You would swear you were eating gourmet, top end foods. You know the. 100% beef, yeah. the adverts are absolutely fantastic. I'm not one who's swayed by adverts, but every time yeah. I look at McDonald's, if it wasn't the fact that I knew what McDonald's was, I'd be going straight down there. Yeah, but in reality, as you say, it's for oh, god yeah, awful it's, stuff. It's not stuff. As an ex-marketing person, I'm always swayed by adverts. And like, <laughs> I mean, they never look anything like the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the pictures. Yeah. But. but I found out who was it, I can't even remember who told me why this happened. So I've not had McDonald's for many 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 years and my friends had taken me there and I was really didn't want to go but ended up having a filly fish and I couldn't get over the fact that when you eat a filly fish when you bite into the the, the thing the bread sticks to your teeth <laughs> so every time I took a bite I had to wipe my teeth because I had this like bread <laughs> dough thing and someone I got speaking to and I can't even think for the life of me who said it's because they're done differently so they're steamed right rather than whatever they do with a, a, a Big Mac bun, yeah. I don't know. But I, I just couldn't believe that that was a thing. Yeah. Bread gets stuck to your teeth. As my friend Danny McLaughlin would say, it's like eating cardboard. <laughs> it is. Mm-hmm. But anyway, moving on from the cardboard scene. Mm-hmm. the uh, we've, said, we've suggested alcohol's very good for you. <laughs> Keep away from McDonald's. Um, per, per, you, I remember you saying to me, Blennerhassett, I remember you saying to me, mm-hmm. two days before, that's mm-hmm. just not going to work. I mean, Matthew's two days before, mm-hmm. should be the day before. Is that, am, I, am I recalling you correctly? In terms of carb loading. And what he's doing, he's doing it too early, isn't he? Two days. No, two, up to two days. So Up to yeah, two so days, okay. I mean, and my lunch mm-hmm. and stuff like that will be still, mm-hmm. like, Base, you know, carbs sort of meals and sort of sandwiches and things, bread and stuff like that. It's just that sort of that last meal. And to be fair, I have breakfast in the morning because I'll get up early enough, and that'll usually be porridge or toast or something like that, depending on how close mm. the race is going to be. Yeah. But it's that sort of calming 
mm-hmm. sensation that just having something like a McDonald's and a beer. Just, it's just it's Ronald McDonald, isn't it? When you get down, <laughs> when you get down there, he, the clown pops out up and he he gives you a soothing massage. Mm-hmm. Right, Uber eat it. I don't go. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, mm-hmm. it's been an absolute honour, a privilege, um, great crack banter from the professor. <laughs> Not, of all time um, listen I don't know is there anything else that you'd like to ask I, I've ticked off all my my questions well I'm not I'm not I've got a lot more sort of <laughs> de- I want a bit more detail but I know it takes time because it, it as you say everybody's different mm. it's, I, I, it's more I'd, about the individual I'd like to see us get Claire back on after you, you after she's read that uh, that present yeah you I've got a wonderful and, and, and question her through that I think would be uh, well listen I've got you a lovely 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 bottle of red wine because <laughs> you've stated quite clearly that it, it's got flavonoids in it so there you go there you go how am I going to carry this and on the it's bike? Italian and you've Don't already mentioned that the centurions mm. which they've got more people over the age of a hundred and because um, they're producing the best red wine obviously Absolutely. Um, stop feeding us lies um, Charlie Spedding how health and happiness come to those who seek the truth we seek it here on the mother of all sports shows and we've got a lovely have a, have a read of that there from Charlie it's signed to you signed. Oh, very nice. have a look at that Claire what does it say it's to Claire hoping you are in good health oh, oh hope you agree <laughs> what's it say Hoping you agree, good health. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll, see. we'll, we'll be interested. And yeah, that would be great if, mm-hmm. if at some point you've got the time to come on and, and, and perhaps comment about this. <laughs> or, or send I'm in scarred a, for life. I don't think I'm going to be coming back. <laughs> send in a written the response. Statements with question marks at the end. <laughs> <laughs> That's just because he's too lazy to write out a full question. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. The final word to the lovely lady. Mm. Have you got anything that you'd like to say? And by the way, how have you fared during this epidemic? During lockdown? Um, okay, to be fair. I've last, was it last year? No, for my 40th, I um, built myself, in my, well, my brother did the build and I just kind of directed a art studio in my back garden. Oh, so you're into art. You're, you're yeah, painting things. so I paint, yes. Ooh, so yeah. um, my my favourite painting at the minute, it's six foot tall. Um, Could you do a portrait of me, please? <laughs> and, and put Matthew at the well, side of me, but he, he's just behind. I, 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 if I'd have thought about it sooner, sooner I had an idea for um, a painting that is half done that could have been tweaked. Oh, hey. Could yeah, have been tweaked yeah, yeah. for you both. Oh, um, yeah. As a... Make sure I'm just ahead yeah, so maybe, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll finish that painting with you both in. Um, but yeah, so I paint about kind of sustainability issues and stuff like that. So um, during lockdown, I've been quite quite creative. So I've been painting and painting and painting. And when, when did I, you start all this particular thing? Oh, Is this a new thing? Um, I kind of dabbled during my PhD. It was kind of a way of de-stressing. Like everything was work or How long are you going back home. now? Sorry, how long are you going um, back? So that would have probably been about 2015 when I started dabbling, but wasn't really doing it that regular, just whenever I was feeling a bit stressed, I'd get sketchbook out or something. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And how did you, how did you, uh, did you learn yourself or did you 
teach yourself? Mostly, yeah. Kind of taught myself at first, just co- by copying. So I'd find an artist that I liked, and I'm like, okay, I'll give that a go. Um, did quite a few for my mum. She got them all around the house. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But then I started going to a art club on a Thursday. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you want to give that a shout out? Yes, it's Richard Megan's um, Paint Club. Richard Megan's Paint Club. Yeah. And where is that based? So uh, it's at the Biscuit Factory at Edge Lane. Um, the Biscuit Factory. Yeah, so oh. it's in there. So, I've never noticed the Biscuit Factory. Yeah. Just, well, Edge it, Lane. Yeah, so it's just not far from the range at Edge Lane. The yeah, range. By the, by the retail oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. park area. Yeah. I'm sure the listeners yeah. out in Slovakia and India will find that place. <laughs> no no trouble. So, uh, yeah, so during lockdown, he's had a virtual art class. So Thursday nights for two hours, we kind of all zoom in. And we have like a little projects that we do each week. So, yeah, it's been really good. So you've got involved in the virtual sort yeah. of... Uh, for me, that's just like a no-no, you know. But Yeah. Um, I don't particularly like it for any other things that the kind of having a drink with a friend has to be in person, right. not on the other side of a screen. But it works quite well with the art because he'll do like a demo, you know, you might have, right, tonight we're do, doing something about Picasso. So we'll sh- show some things, give a bit of a demo and they, we go off and do And there's just people in the background just chatting away. So it's just nice. You got any aspirations for the future, Claire? For my art, definitely, yeah. So I, I'm actually going to be in on display in Yorkshire. Oh. Um, sixteenth of April oh. to something in May. It might be. A bit more. You're going to be on display. You. Well, not me. Oh. Physically, my painting. Because I've got a friend. He goes on. He um, he is uh, a life model, and he, oh, right, he stands okay. in the yeah, neck yeah. on stage, mm-hmm. and they paint him, and they pay him, you know, okay, for three yeah. hours. He doesn't just stand there. He does different poses. Poses, yeah. Um, but you're not going to be on display. No, I'm not. The painting's going to be on display. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I'm currently painting on newspaper, so we recycle newspaper and paint about kind of sustainability food kind of issues. You're painting on recycled newspaper. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. So this is a big thing for you, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, Have you got any other hobbies or interests that you... you, Obviously, you've got your sport, haven't you? You've got your... um, Running, yeah. yeah. I just love being outdoors. Mountains, being up on a mountain. It's my favorite. Yeah. I prefer trail runs and. Have you got Have you got any races in the calendar? Yes, Is I have. Around? I have. Um, well, I've got a duathlon coming up in April, which I'm terrified of because it's up towards Rivington Pike, okay. so it's going to be quite a hilly one. Yeah. Um, which is fine running. I'm ha- I'm fine running up hills and stuff. It's the bike. Yeah. Scared of that. Um, so I've got that. But in June, I have the. Allswater 20, so 20 miles round Allswater, and July I have Snowdonia Mar- Trail Marathon. And do you see these things going? You hope that they go ahead. Have you got faith Hopefully, in, in Yeah, in, uh, so the, do you the, see a sea change? The Snowdon Mar- Marathon was from last year, so it's been deferred to this year. So I'm hopefully that's gonna. And do you see that? That you see like sort of um, because for me, like we've had all these. Periods where they sort of said, well, and then they go back into sort of lockdown. They, they, but you finally f- see that freedom, the light at the end of the tunnel. Do you feel that this is? I'm touching wood. I honestly, I don't you're know. Not sure. I'm, I'm not sure. No. John, John Joe's lost upon this. Yeah, he's, he's, no, he's, he's not going to leave I'm, until something happens. I, I, I'm, 
I'm yeah. torch burning for the, the belief in that the yeah, we're racing the way back. And I'm kind of with Ron, John yeah. Jones. I, I want oh. to see something happen. That's a there. surprise. It's a surprise. That <laughs> There's a ten of books. Anybody <laughs> would agree with me. I've got a race yeah, in two I weeks. He has got a raise, and his will go ahead because he's he's, he's in, in with the click. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's been it's been it's been marvelous. It has been marvelous. Well, thanks for having me, Claire, Doctor, Professor, whatever you want to call yourself. <laughs> it's been marvelous. Yeah, thanks for thanks. coming on, Claire, and no uh, hope everyone found that really interesting and uh, informative and. Uh, yeah, if you've got any questions, do do send them in to us and uh, yeah. we'll, we'll pass them on to you. And I'll, I'll continue to That's sit it. on the fence. Yeah. <laughs> it, it depends. <laughs>